it's good to think about hope tonight. It said, hope springs eternal. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. There's certainly a reason that platitude exists. It sticks. It's human nature to find fresh causes for optimism, to find silver linings, to expect that the next medicine, the next doctor, the next season, the next year, even the next life will be better than this one. Hope springs eternal, or so they say, but maybe it doesn't. Today, cynicism seems to be a more powerful force than hope. The college students I work often with, on average, believe that they are and will be worse off than their parents' generation. Hope today is in short supply. So, where can we find it? If you have your Bible, please open to our text for tonight, Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And we're going to be on page 944 in your pew Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. I'll read it for us. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Christianity teaches that because of the resurrection of Jesus and because of his gift of the Spirit, we have a hope that can truly face anything. This isn't a mere kind of optimism, but a a solid hope. Here's what J.I. Packer wrote. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty, guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. So what about you? Is your life animated by hope? See, hope, it's like the Christian's superpower. It dramatically changes how we experience life and for the better. Tonight, from our text, I want you to see how Christian hope means that we can flourish amidst delay and amidst decay. We can flourish amidst delay and amidst decay. First, Christian hope means we can flourish amidst delay. At the center of our verse, Paul says that our groanings are accompanied by waiting. Do you see that in the middle of the verse? He says, we wait. In God's plan, waiting is not an interruption. Waiting is a part of the plan. So often we wish it wasn't, don't we? We hate to wait because delays highlight to us, they remind us that we are not in charge. If we could control the situations and the timings of our life, we would never have to wait. There would be no such thing as a delay. Think about this past year. Has there been a year in your life with more delays? I mean, this church delayed even gathering for a a brief period of time. Other other delays frustrate us, I'm sure. I, I know in parenting, I was reminded once again this morning in trying to get out the door Every Sunday morning, my kids operate on a different timeline than I do. 
How about in evangelism? It regularly seems like God's work in our friends and our families is delayed. In our own hearts, we grow frustrated with how slow we seem to grow and to change. Some of us have been waiting for a long time. Waiting for a spouse, waiting for a child, waiting for a job, waiting for a cure. Our lives are full of delays. So how do we handle them? How do we handle delays? Delays are difficult. I mean, God gives us a desire. His word says it's a good desire even. And then it's not fulfilled. And so we wait And yet, Paul says here that this waiting, look back at the verse, is an eager waiting. We are ultimately wait, what we are ultimately waiting for is far better than anything God could give us in this life. In the gospel, God turns our waiting for wrath, which we heard about this morning, into a waiting for resurrection. Our waiting for wrath has been turned into a waiting for resurrection. What we miss out on in this life, he will make up for in the next. Our waiting is eager because what is ahead of us is both glorious and is guaranteed. It's glorious and it's guaranteed. Look at verse 15. Paul said earlier, The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. These glories are guaranteed as well in God's gift of the Spirit. Here we see in this passage, we have the first fruits of the harvest to come. Now, if we could go back to March 11th of this year, and if you were to to go to the tidal basin, you would have noticed green buds beginning to appear on the cherry blossom trees. The trees weren't in full bloom yet, but the buds would make you optimistic that beauty was coming. And yet, the buds actually, in this passage, aren't the first fruits. Because see, if extreme cold had set in, those buds could be damaged, severely damaged. The first fruits are more like when the tree is full of those puffy white petals and then one full bloom of that cherry blossom shows up. As soon as that first one shows up, we know beauty is coming. It's the beginning of beauty. That's what the Spirit is. But what beauty are we actually waiting for? We'll look back at the text. It says, we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, earlier in the chapter, Paul said that we possess the spirit of adoption. We know from other places in the New Testament that in Christ we can say now, we are God's adopted children. And yet here, Paul says we're still waiting for adoption. Well, in June of 2020, we adopted our little girl, Ava. And after a long process, which included meeting her in the hospital, getting permission to leave the hospital, getting uh, permission to leave the state, having temporary uh, custody over her, the adoption was finalized in December of 2020. And in one of the most powerful moments of our lives, with friends and family and church members on the Zoom call with us, the judge asked us a series of questions before granting us status as Ava's parents. One of them, 
is that if he wanted to know if we would promise that Ava would equally share in our inheritance alongside our other two biological children. We had to promise that just as we cared for them, we would care for her. It's no different for us as God's adopted children. In the gospel, the Son of God has become our brother. The Son of God has become our brother. And just as God raised his Son from the dead, giving him a glorified body, so too will he give us a glorified body. See, our hearts have already been liberated from sin's dominion. We are God's children now. But Jesus has something that we don't. One day soon, our very bodies will be liberated as well. Our bodies will be redeemed. Friends, do you want that day to come soon? That day when your body and even the entire creation this passage hints at will be redeemed? I know I do. Here's how the second century church father Irenaeus imagined this hope that we have. The days are coming and will come in which vines shall grow, having each 10,000 branches, and in each branch 10,000 twigs, and in each true twig 10,000 shoots, and in every one of the shoots 10,000 clusters, and on every one of the clusters 10,000 grapes, and every grape, when pressed, will give five and twenty metrics of wine. And when any one of the saints shall lay hold of a cluster, another shall cry out, I am a better cluster. Take me. Bless the Lord through me. We have a glorious future. And it's precisely because we know our future is glorious and guaranteed, that's why we groan inwardly, as this text says. The Holy Spirit He creates in us a certain restlessness. It's a restlessness for resurrection, for redemption. And so while we groan, we wait. Christian hope means that we can flourish amidst delay. But second, Christian hope means we can flourish amidst decay. We groan like the rest of creation. Decay is all around us. Did you know even rocks have elements of decay? Both in creation and in our bodies, everything is trying to fall apart. In a previous verse, Paul says that there's the, the whole creation is under bondage to, creup, to corruption. Now, I learned in the last few years of a trend called biohacking. Biohackers seek to manipulate the brain and the body in order to optimize optimize performance, usually outside the realm of traditional medicine. Many biohackers hope to remain physically active late into life and age into their 100s. And in many ways, I think Christians can get on board with a kind of biohacking. God cares about our bodies, and so should we. And yet happiness for us is about more than good health and a long life. Our bodies are decaying. Biohackers perhaps can slow down the intruder of death, but they can't stop him. Like delays, bodily decay is a visceral reminder to us once again that we are not in charge. I mean, who would choose sickness Sickness is a kind of helplessness. 
And as one of your pastors, I know how health problems are unique tests and challenges to your faith. Your bodily pain matters to God. And it's good to pray for health. Health is a gift and we should seek it. But health isn't the gift. Romans 8.23, it doesn't tell us everything about the purpose of our pain. But it does tell us the future of our pain. When our bodies are redeemed, there will be no more pain, no more arthritis, no more chronic fatigue, no more epilepsy, no more insomnia, no more asthma, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more PTSD, no more cancer, and no more COVID. What this means is that this life, even amidst bodily decay, is a rehearsal for the next one. In learning to enjoy God when our bodies hurt, we're training ourselves to enjoy Him when it doesn't, to enjoy Him even more. If we experience God as good now, how much more will we experience His goodness then? And so, friends, poor health on the outside does not have to mean poor health on the inside. Notice that Paul says we groan inwardly. He doesn't say we grumble outwardly. Christians in pain are to be groaners, not grumblers. We groan because we know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. But we shouldn't grumble because we know also that in our decay... God is moving us closer, moment by moment, to glory. And as counterintuitive as it seems, our sicknesses can, in fact, be used for good. God can use them, I know, to cultivate holiness in us, to free us from self-centeredness, to teach us to rely on Him and to cast our anxieties on Him more, to teach us to be thankful in difficult circumstances, to lead us to humbly submit our wills to him again and again, to have compassion on those who are hurting and sick. Because of the resurrection, our pain has purpose. And our pain has an expiration date. Our life, it will be full of groanings. If you're, not a, if you're not a Christian here today, but you're thinking about becoming one, know this, following Jesus will not make all of your disappointments, difficulties, and pains go away. You're signing up for a lifetime of groaning, but that shouldn't stop you because the question isn't, at the end of the day, whether or not you'll have pain and disappointment. The question is really, Do you have a hope beyond those things? And do you have a hope that can sustain you through them? No other religion holds out hope for the restoration of the world and your soul. Oh yeah, and your body. There's no other hope like it. If you're hearing me rightly, you should be thinking, this sounds a little too good to be true. I think that's how it should sound. 
It really is that good. But it also really is that true. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world. He took on our flesh and our frailness. In that frailness, he never once grumbled or sinned against God. And though he could have chosen immortal glory, he immediately he chose a cross to be nailed to a piece of wood by beings he had created. On that cross, he'd take on the sins of everyone who would ever turn and trust in him. There, the wrath of God fell on him so it wouldn't have to fall on you. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and now he's our man in heaven. He's there as a memorial for us. He's there preparing a place for us. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your present, and you can absolutely trust him with your future. The song we're going to close out tonight invites us to sing to our own souls, arise, arise, to come to God in confident hope. Before the throne, our surety stands. This is not a faint optimism, not a wish without warrant. Before the throne, our surety stands. Our names are written in his hands. Let me pray. Oh God, thank you that in Christ, hope does spring eternal for us. Thank you that this great hope that we have means we can flourish amidst the delays and the decay of this life. Keep us fixed on that hope, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.